Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, women's empowerment coach and motivational speaker, Megan Hall. And on this podcast, I'm going to connect you with inspirational women who will share their real stories. And we're going to chat about topics relevant to women today. I'd love to continue to support you on your life's journey. Please join us in the Inspired Women community on Facebook. Thank you for tuning in today and enjoy the show. Hey guys, today I am here with Jen and Jen and I met at the Modern Femme Convention and figured out we're both military spouses, which is amazing. So Jen is a military spouse for almost 20 years. Hashtag goals right there. <laughs> She's a mom of three boys, one via birth who, who is almost 18 years old and two via private adoption, ages eight and a half and three and a half years old. She enjoys volunteering with her in her community and is a health and fitness enthusiast. Professionally, she's a lifestyle coach, public speaker, and business trainer. So Jen is part of the Inspired Women community, and I posted in there asking if anybody had experienced any kind of infertility and if they'd be willing to come on the podcast, because I know it's a huge subject for so many women out there, and it's just not talked about. Like, come on, guys, we got to talk about it. Um, so I wanted to have Jen on to come and share a little bit about us, and we were just chatting before we started on the podcast, and I was like, oh, so we're going to talk about IVF, and Jen's like, that's not what I did. So Jen, tell us a little bit about what happened. <laughs> um, yes. So um, obviously I have a son through birth um, and I call him my miracle child. Um, at the time we were really young and we just didn't know anything about for infertility, you know? So yay, yay for that, right? <laughs> what a blessing. Um, he did come into this world 10 pounds, five ounces uh, via C-section. So that was a bit tough on my body. Um, and we always knew we wanted more children. So we, we started when he was about two to have more children, and we, we had our first uh, miscarriage. And at the time, you know, of course, that was very devastating. My, my husband was on the ship, and um, we were in San Diego. And, you know, I remember just feeling isolated and alone. Um, I didn't know anybody had, that had had a miscarriage at that point. And it wasn't until I started, you know, grieving and, and speaking that people came, started coming out in support of that. And I, I learned that it's a lot more common than I thought originally. Uh, so I was still really young, mid twenties. And, um, I, I just thought that, you know, we'll go on and we'll, when we feel better, we'll try again. So we tried for a couple of years and nothing happened. And at that point I, I was like, you know, we had, didn't think we had any infertility problems. So I decided that we should look into, um, seeing a doctor, you know, seeing what's going on. So they agreed to do the simple tests, um, for myself. And they, they said that my husband should do a test as well. Um, he was a bit surprised by that because, you know, male ego, they think that, uh, they're just fertile myrtles, I guess. Um, so he, he did the tests and I did a test and it came back that he had severe male infertility. So knowing that and knowing the options we had, we moved forward with um, some medical intervention, um, which included him seeing a doctor uh, and then going through some testing uh, and then going through a little minor surgery um, to help his, to help his boys, so to speak. <laughs> uh, so shortly after the surgery, within the three month window, we became pregnant again. And we were overjoyed thinking that was it, that everything's fixed and, you know, new baby's coming. And unfortunately, again, um, I knew what signs to look for now for miscarriage. And uh, it was within, you know, the first six weeks that I lost the baby. Um, again, 
that was really, really devastating for us. And, um, you know, at the time I was emotionally sensitive. We were in a new duty station. This particular area didn't have a lot of friends that had gone through it. So I, um, I kind of went through that second one a little bit lost and alone. Um, and also determined to continue our journey to have more children. So at that point, we went to the infertility doctor again. And this time they were telling us that there's something called interuterine insemination or IUI, where they could take his um, sperm and they could, you know, wash it essentially. And then they could inseminate me, um, not through IVF means, so not artificial insemination, but kind of like I call it turkey baster insemination. Uh, so we thought that was a great plan. Um, and it, there was like three tries you could get and they would do a bundle. So you would do some Clomid and they would monitor you. And then you'd come in for this, you know, for this insemination at the time. Uh, so we, gosh, looking back now, it's hard to kind of remember the details, but we did do three of those. Um, again, we were also, we were told that my husband's sperm just wasn't viable. Um, at, and during the last one, they actually let me look in the microscope at, at the semen. And I got to see, uh, there was very low motility and they weren't moving, um, very fast. So we realized that this really wasn't the, the route for us. Um, and so we, we put things on pause and we started talking about adoption. I mean, again, it had been like four and a half years at this point. So we were pretty exhausted and we, we were spending a lot of money on these fertility treatments because they're just not, they're not covered, you know, by, by military insurance. Um, and it's a good thing we did stop because we looked into, started looking to adoption and we started healing a little bit. And also um, at that time, my husband was deployed, you know, he's deployed overseas. And I had my last, one of my last appointments with the doctor. And he said to me that, um, you know, that my tests had been coming back irregular. However, they never looked at it because I was in my twenties. But now that I was approaching, you know, 30, um, they were quite honest with me and they said, you know, your eggs are low quality, you really low quality eggs. And so if you wanted to go forward and do IVF in the future, uh, you wouldn't be a good candidate for it because, you know, poor egg quality, his motility is shot and mobility is shot. And, um, you know, again, I was only 30 years old. So it was, it was pretty heartbreaking to hear that not only was, well, not only do we have infertility problems, but now there was no chance of us having another child by birth. Wow. I, I can't even imagine how that felt. Um, so tell us a little bit, what is the, what I, for anybody listening that doesn't know, what would IVF entail? So like you had the turkey baster with what you went through, like that's what you called it. Um, and then what would IVF have entailed? Like what, how would that have been a little different? So um, there was two, two ways to go for IVF. You could have gone the civilian route or the military hospital route. There is a very large hospital, um, in Maryland that does do um, IVFs for military families. You do have to be a good candidate, and we, we were not. Um, what that process entails is um, in injections. First you take some medicine to ripen your eggs, and then you do these injections to trigger ovulation. Uh, then they go in and they remove the eggs. 
So it's a procedure, it's like a day procedure where you go in, they put you under, they remove the eggs, and then they'll, I want, I, it's been a long time, so I'm trying to remember. Then they take the sperm separately, and then they do the wash with the sperm again. And the, but, the, but with IVF, there's another process called ICSI, uh, I-C-S-I, where they can extract a, a, a viable sperm so mm -hmm. that they can inject it into the egg. So then you'd wait until you were ready and then they would inseminate you with this. So they take the egg with the sperm and they inseminate you. So it's, it's a completely different process. That, that sounds like a completely different process. Yes. Wow. That's a, that's a lot. That's yeah. a lot to, for somebody to go through to have a baby. Yeah. Um, and I feel very fortunate because when, by the time we got to that point, you know, when the doctor, they, they just didn't recommend it anymore. And I, I felt as devastating as, as it was, I was really relieved because at that point I had already been poked and prodded and, uh, you know, different tests all these years. And I, I was really just physically exhausted. That, I mean, it would, your body's going through a lot there mm -hmm. where, I mean, they have to do all of these tests and they have to, you know, probably have you, what is it? They say that you, you have to lay with your head or your feet above your head and all of this crazy stuff where you're having to like be in the right position to try to help you get pregnant. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a process, right? I mean, so first of all, there's all the blood work and, you know, sometimes it's up to 10, 10 plus vials um, each, each time. And you're not just talking about like once a month, you know, sometimes it's a couple times a month. Um, then there's the Clomid, which um, really can change a person's mood. It's almost like PMS all the time because you're just up and down moods. And, you know, that's not good to be in your body long term. And I mean, I think I took it for over a year. Wow. So, you know, um, and then there's the dye test that they do uh, that to see if your tubes are clear. You know, it's where they inject your tubes with dye, literally. And then they, they watch it through a, a screen and it, it's it's a kind of painful, let's just say. Um, I had three of those done. So yeah, there's, there's just so many things that don't make it pleasant and make the whole art of having a baby really miserable. Yeah. You're not even enjoying it at that point in time because no. you're not doing the fun stuff that leads to the baby at that point in time. Right. And, and another thing I'd like to point out is the emotional toll that it takes on a marriage. Um, you know, at first when we learned he, he wasn't had fertility problems, you know, there was, Unfortunately for me, I was, I was in a, a sad place. And so there was a lot of blame that, you know, I put on him. And then once we found out it was also me, double whammy, um, you know, he was, he was really kind. He didn't, he didn't lash out at me about that, but, um, but it was just one of the, it's like taking a big dose of humble pie, you know, that not only is it, was it him, but it was also me. I had to swallow my pride and, and really do a lot to repair the damage I had done from that. Yeah. And what sort of things helped you heal from experiencing that all the emotional toll, the physical toll, all of that, that that's a lot for one person to go through. And I'm sure it, it took some time and to heal, but also there were there certain things you did to help your, yourself heal. Absolutely. Yeah. I really couldn't have gone through all of this without help. Uh, and support. Um, during the process, we sought out counseling because that seemed to be the easiest and, you know, it was paid for by our insurance. Um, I remember having a counselor tell us once, well, what if you don't have more children? 
And I looked at her, my husband looked at her and we said, that's not an option. So we, we knew we were going to go on and have more children someday, but her advice was just horrible. Like, what if we don't have more kids? It, to me, it just seemed ludicrous. Um, and so I kind of stepped away from the counseling route and I looked into more holistic ways of healing. Um, and I found acupuncture, uh, which really helped regulate my moods. Um, it actually helped rebalance my body as well so that, you know, my body could heal from, from all the things we had been through. Um, my husband, as macho as he is, he was open to acupuncture as well. That's awesome. I, yeah, it was really, really cool. Cause we went to, we were stationed in Maine and we went to a husband and wife team. And so sometimes we'd have dual appointments. So he'd go see the husband and I go see the wife and we'd come out and go have lunch afterwards and enjoy each other's company. You know, cause at that time we did have a young son we had to take care of as well. So we had to be, um, you know, we had to be in a good place for him, you know? Um, and other things I did was just energy healing and, um, you know, looking into self-development and, and things like that, because if, if it hadn't have been for trying to improve m myself and, and how I dealt with things in life, um, I probably wouldn't have been able to go on to, um, to adopt, you know, our two children. So. Yeah. Yeah. And what, going back to the counseling is I feel like sometimes you got to find the right person, right? Um, mm -hmm. Some people are so hesitant. They'll say like, I went, I saw this counselor. I didn't like them. So I'll never go again. And now that's what I'm, I'm not saying you're saying that, but what I'm saying is I, you know, I hear that from people all the time and I'm like, you can go and ask for a new counselor. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can go and, and find somebody because not every person's going to drive and not everybody's message is going to be the same for somebody else. But I'm so glad that you found these other options as well to help you be able to heal and help your husband heal as well. Cause that's a, that's a hell of a journey to go to. And I can imagine it becomes like this kind of blame game where like, I can't, you know, it's your fault. We can't have children. And then you find out that you also are partially responsible. So like, you're like, Oh God, now it's me. And then you're beating yourself up. And it, it just like this whirlwind that could, I can't even imagine how much strain it must've put on your marriage to go through that. And then he's deploying, he's not, and we know that puts a whole nether strain on marriage, right? <laughs> like, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. One of the deployments, just to go back real quick to show you how desperate I was. Uh, one of the deployments, we were stationed uh, here in Virginia and the Jones Institute is a very large, you know, um, hospital and they have a big uh, fertility center. I had him go bank his sperm and uh, that cost thousands of dollars because of course he didn't have much viable sperm and yeah. they want, they, in order to freeze it, they have, you have to give them a certain amount. So he had to go several times and, and, and we banked his sperm. And I, and I found out that that's what they used to do back in the day, back in the war times, uh, women, that's how it started is, is husbands would go off to war and women would have their husband's sperm preserved just in case they didn't come back. Wow. I had yeah. no idea. I had no idea either. Not even when I did the process, did I know that until afterward. And I said, it makes sense because he was being deployed to Iraq and, and that was different for us because we're Navy family. Um, mm -hmm. And this was a, a tour with the army. And I remember just, it took on a whole new, a whole new level of stress, like you said. So. Yeah. Wow. That's, I had, I, I yeah, I had no idea that they did that. Like that, it's that old. Like they've been <laughs> doing that for that long. Mm -hmm. I, I've been wondering like, who is the first person who decided like, maybe if we freeze the sperm, 
<laughs> they might actually be able to get somebody pregnant in the future. That's, I, I've always wondered, like, who came up with that? Um, but yeah, that's, that's amazing. But I can imagine you're in this state of desperation. You really, really, really want to have another child. You've already had a child. So mm-hmm. you're like, why can't I have another one? Like, this yeah. makes no sense. Um, and now you're feeling all these emotions. He's deploying, he's gone. Um, and we know any military spouse out there listening knows like you don't have communication daily when they're deployed. Um, and so you're going through all these things where, when did you guys decide to stop go- continuing with these treatments and go a different route? Uh, so when I saw, um, again, here in Virginia, we had, we had moved several to several states during this process. So you always had to reestablish care with a new doctor. Yeah. Um, when we were stationed in Virginia and I had his sperm banked, um, I went to the local hospital, Portsmouth, and I saw the fertility specialist there. And I remember his bedside manner was not so good, but he came in the room and he just said to me, you know, the poor egg quality. Uh, he's like, you know, ma'am, you're, you're not a candidate for IVF. I wouldn't, he's like, you could spend more money doing this. At this time we had about 10, $15,000 in, you know, and he's like, you could spend more money, but you, you know, your eggs are bad. You'd have to use donor egg. I was like, and again, I already kind of knew the quality was bad, but when he said donor egg, I thought, pardon my French, but I thought, hell no, <laughs> you know, I mean, not that that's a bad option, but for me, and from everything I had been through, I didn't even want to worry with about infertility stuff, you know, fertility stuff anymore. I was, I was basically done. So it was at that point um, and that we decided to move on to, um, to pursue adoption. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the adoption process. We've had um, one other, I want to say one other episode early on in the podcast where we talked about um, adoption. Andrea Gain, she, uh, is the founder of Habesha Mama. I probably messed up that. I always mess up that word. Every time I say it, I mess it up. So I'm sorry, Andrea, if you're listening. Uh, but anyways, uh, and that in her adoption in Ethiopia inspired her to start this nonprofit to help children um, in Ethiopia. So tell us a little bit about your adoption process because it may have been a little bit different than what she went through as well. Yes, I actually met her um, in person uh, at uh, the Modern Femme Convention, and, and her story is very different. It's a beautiful story. Uh, it's just a different path to adoption. Um, so, like I said before, it was always in our hearts to have more children. Um, and, and so, the conversation of adoption had been on the table for several years. We just didn't, knew nothing about it. We, you know, uh, there's all these there's all these myths, like either you get orphans from, you know, overseas or you adopt through foster care. There's just not a lot of known about all the little things that go into adoption. So I went into research mode. So during our infertility treatments, I was also researching adoption. Um, you know, it was kind of an evolution of sorts. At first we thought um, international was the, was the correct route for us. Uh, we, we looked into Russia very um, strategically and then due to the cost and the time, uh, we decided against that. Then we looked into um, another international program, China. And China, at the time, the rules for adopting through China had changed. So whereas a, before it was quite easy to go to China to adopt a child, it became very, very difficult. And not only that, I wasn't, I wasn't, was I 30, 31? We just didn't make enough and we weren't college scholar educated. And for, so for us, it just wasn't the right option. 
Um, so then we looked into foster care adoption and that, uh, that route really just became the easiest route possible at the time. So we started taking the education classes um, and the pride training. And uh, we, we took the pride training and education classes and worked on a home study. Um, that, that process took maybe six months and then we became licensed to adopt. Um, and again, during that time, my husband deployed again. <laughs> Cause you know, he can never be home long enough. <laughs> Uh, and, and during his deployment, they, they actually told me that um, they wouldn't place any children in our home. And, you know, at this point, it had been many, many years, like six years, that we'd wanted more kids. And I was pretty devastated. But thankfully, I had met another military spouse who did something called private adoption. And private adoption was something I knew nothing about. Uh, and so I was intrigued. And I said, please tell me more. Uh, so essentially, private adoption, you need all the requirements you need for foster care or international adoptions, same home study approved, background checks, all of that stuff. Uh, the difference is, is that you are actually chosen by an expectant mother to be the parents of, of the child. So the expectant mother chooses the family, and then you make an arrangement and agreement with her based on her needs, her wants and needs and your wants and needs. So you have to come to an agreement before the child even comes in the world. Uh, sometimes, you know, the babies come and then the birth mothers choose. But in our case, we were chosen for our, our children before they were born. So we decided to take that route because uh, the stipulations with the military regulations and all that didn't apply in this case. Uh, we just needed to pick a viable agency and and start, you know, start the process and just wait. So the, <clears throat> excuse me, the other types of adoptions, you would have needed your spouse to be home, am I correct, in order for you to go through with it? Uh, yes. I mean, I do. Obviously, international adoption, they have to travel with you. And then for foster care adoption, um, in, in our particular in our particular case with the agency we were working with through for foster care here in Virginia, that, that was their rule. So I don't know how it is in other, with other foster care agencies, because we know tons of families that have um, adopted through foster care. Just at that particular time and that particular rule, it just wasn't, it wasn't an option. So they make it a little more difficult for military families to adopt. <laughs> well, um, the system as a whole, unfortunately, um, there's a lot of different challenges that it, it has. Um, I, to be honest with you, I hope to become involved with that so that, you know, I can bring some awareness to it and uh, work to, you know, bring as many children home to their forever families, because I think that's what it's all about at the end of the day. I completely agree. I feel like it's kind of like you experience something, you become, I don't want to say attached, connected to that thing, right? And you want to help improve it. Like I, I'm somebody who has struggled with mental illness most of my life. So to me, that's something that's really, I'm really passionate about is breaking that stigma around mental illness so that more people will get help and more people will be able to live a, you know, happy, healthy, fulfilling life. And the same, it seems for you is when it comes to adoption is you want to make it easier for families who are loving and caring and really want to take care of their kids. I mean, if your background check is legit, you have no, you know, issues or anything like that. Why, why can't you, if you really want to adopt a child, if you can afford to take care of a child, why can't you have that child? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So I want to just break the stigma um, around that. And honestly, at the time, um, I feel like it was something, I feel like it was something beyond me. 
um, you know, that was pulling us to do private adoption. And, and I'll share with you more about that in a bit. But, but yeah, I, I have a, bit, a, a strong heart for foster care adoption and to help bring awareness to that because it's, a, it's, an, amazing, it's an amazing program. It's just a matter of um, educating people, you know. And foster care adoption is children that are in the foster care system right now. Would Those would be the children that you would end up adopting. Yes, uh, they've been removed from their uh, families due to abuse or neglect, and the parental rights for those families have been terminated by the court system. So they are wards of the state, and so they're legally free for adoption. And just on another note, um, there's over something like 30,000 children in, in Virginia alone who are actually available for adoption, not just foster care. Wow. And people think like, I'm going to go overseas and adopt. And from what I heard, it's, it's actually harder to adopt in the United States than it is to adopt a child overseas. Am I correct? It can be. Yeah, it can. Yeah. There's some, there's some legal loopholes there. So um, yeah, it can be difficult uh, depending on who you work with. Honestly, I think it, 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 it varies agency to agency. Um, you know, and, and Virginia is one of the states that's a little bit behind the times. But, uh, you know, I know a lot of amazing people, incredible people that are working you know, with the legislature to, to improve some of these, um, some of these setbacks. Yeah. I feel like the kids, especially the ones you're talking about in, in foster care situations, you know, there is stigmas around adopting a child that's been through abusive relationships, but they're the ones that need the love the most, right? Because they've been through these situations. They probably, um, you know, feel empty. They feel disconnected. They feel unwanted and having somebody to actually adopt them and take care of them is, is a huge thing. Like they, they need that, you know, they, they need to have a, a loving family right now. I'm watching this is us. I don't know if you watch this is us. I can't watch that show. You can't watch it. <laughs> it is a very emotional, but, uh, one of the current episodes, and by the time people hear this, it will be an old episode anyways. Uh, they just, one of the, uh, siblings decided to do foster care. And mm. so they have a foster um, daughter at their, their house right now. And, uh, you know, right now she's still with them, but from the previews, there's going to be some issues with that coming up. But I'm just like, you know, you see in this girl how, if it, you know, how emotional she is and how like um, the adoptive father, father like raises his voice or said something. No, he grabbed her hand and she freaked out, you know, because she'd been through those situations. But sometimes, you know, those, not sometimes all the time. Those children need love too. They need to know that, you know, it's okay. Not everybody's like that. Not everybody's going to hurt you. We, we were fortunate enough. The pride training we went through was very extensive. Um, it was actually therapeutic, uh, therapeutic agency. So they take the worst of the worst. I mean, we're, some of the stories we were told, uh, things such as like feces being thrown across the, across the room. Now I would say that that's like a no-go if I didn't actually have my own children do that, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Um, so I've experienced that just with my own kids. Cause you know, little toddlers, they don't might wipe their bottom with their hand and then wipe it on the wall. I mean, I've dealt with stuff like that. So yeah. anyway, um, no, my, so my son actually literally smeared it all over a table one time when he was a toddler. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, you know, but again, that's the point is if you're, if you look, view these children, you know, they're damaged by no fault of their own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes it is just a matter of that unconditional love, you know, that unconditional love that you can provide somebody who needs it so much. And how fulfilling is that in your own heart to, to give that type of love to somebody and watch them bloom like a flower, you know, watch mm -hmm. them go from a wilted, 
bent uh, nearly, you know, very, very weak to a gorgeous, beautiful, strong flower with a strong stem. I mean, that's, that's how I kind of choose to look at it. So very passionate about that. Although I, I, that wasn't the route that we chose to adopt, but I'm very passionate about that. Oh, I love it. I can hear your passion and that's amazing. And maybe somebody that's listening right now might decide that that's, that's a route that they want to take as well. I, I know a military couple um, that my husband served on his last at his last command with, and they were looking into foster care and possibly foster care adoption. I don't know if they've decided to go forward with that, but I know they were as well. Um, and it, it's amazing. I think it's an amazing thing. So tell us a little bit about the process of the private adoption and, you know, what went into that? Sure. So uh, we we did save some money. We put some money in savings because private um, adoption is, is not uh, it's not cheap. Um, whereas foster care is virtually free, private adoption is not. Um, so we put some money into savings and uh, we, we were very fortunate that when my husband deployed, you know, it was tax free. So we just kind of put that money in the bank and saved up. I mean, it wasn't an overnight thing, obviously. Mm-hmm. We had been saving for a couple of years in the hopes of pursuing this. Um, once we're home study approved, again, that's very important. You have to be home study approved. All your background checks come back, your CPR certified. Um, they've done a home inspection, you know, and things like that. Then at that point, we applied for a specific agency. So you can do parent placement adoption through an attorney, or you can work with an agency. And the agency acts as a liaison between the birth families and the adoptive families. Um, and we that used a specific agency, um, for our first adoption in Oklahoma. So we sent them an application and we were approved. And so then we sent them um, what's like a a book that had pictures of us, that had uh, stuff about our family. Um, At the time, my six-year-old, my son was six, he wrote a letter talking about wanting to be a big brother. Aww. He was full in the process. If it, honestly, if it had been something he didn't want, we we wouldn't have pursued it. Um, He wanted it, he wanted to be a brother for as long as I can remember. And it always broke his heart when, you know, the babies didn't make it. Cause he's, even though he tried to hide it from him, he knew, you yeah. know, on. so he was very excited about this. Um, within a year of putting in our, our home study and, and our, our book, we were selected. Uh, and so I get this call and it's, it's literally like I looked at a pregnancy test cause I've, I've experienced that, you know, yeah. and I get this call and they're just like, you've been chosen and, oh, it still takes my breath away. Because it's just such an amazing feeling to know that somebody trusts you so much with, with the gift of, their, of raising their child as your own. Um, so we were chosen. We didn't care. Black, white, purple, green, boy, girl, didn't matter. We just wanted, a, you know, a healthy baby. Um, now, in this case, we went to Oklahoma to meet the birth family before the baby came. And we met the birth family, very nice people. And it was it was really just sweet to get to know her and know what she likes and, you know, and who she is it's more about yeah. who she is. Cause that's sometimes you don't get to get to do that. Um, so we left and uh, the next day we were supposed to wait seven more weeks. The next day he was born. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, unfortunately she, she had a, uh, she had developed an infection that wasn't checked by her doctor. Um, this is one of the things like I, I try to educate people when it comes to the fees that are involved with adoption. Uh, she she was she had state Medicaid, but uh, we would pay for other testing so that she was healthy. You know, make mm-hmm. make sure that she was healthy and such. Well, her doctors didn't pay attention to the fact that she was making an adoption plan, 
and they didn't do the proper testing for her. So they didn't catch, she had a UTI that actually became, became critical wow. and um, caused her to go into early labor. And he was actually born not, not breathing. He, it was a very traumatic birth for him. And it could have been avoided had they just done the extra testing. Cause you know, we were, we were going to pay those expenses because they were important to make sure she was healthy and that the baby was healthy. Yeah. So I do try to educate people about where the fees go. They don't, you know, so in this case, um, we were really upset about that. So he came the next day, he was in the NICU uh, for several weeks, but we were allowed to be in the NICU with him. And we were allowed to stay at the Ronald McDonald house, which is Yay. really cool. Yeah, and that that's a really great organization because it was free service for us to stay there. Um, and we helped him get through that that point. His birth mother was with us a, a little bit, and then she went to a court ceremony that um, terminated her parental rights, and then gave custody to us. And then about six months after he came home, we could apply for um, finalization because there's a like a preliminary. The states do this on, to everybody, right? There's like a preliminary period between the termination of parental rights when you take custody and um, and when the adoption's final. So we went through that six months post-placement visits with the social worker and whatnot, and then at that time, everything was finalized. Wow. So you had to go through all of these, these loops and all like jumping all these hoops, I wanna say, to be able to have your baby, which is your first adopted son. Yes, that was just the first yes. one. Yes, your first adopted son, and so he's healthy. He's 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 thriving now. Absolutely. So when he was little, he was up. It was quite delayed in several areas. We got him mm -hmm. early intervention, OT, speech therapy for about three or four years. Um, he's eight and a half. He he's like number one soccer player in his team. I mean, he's he's really just thriving and doing well. You'd never know. I love it. My twins were born five and a half weeks early. So that's why they were preemies too. So I, that's why I ask because sometimes preemies can struggle a little bit and it sounds like he's doing really well and that's fantastic. So how did it go the second time around where you already knew kind of what you needed to do in order to get this done? It wasn't new to you anymore. So tell us a little bit about that experience. So he was about two and we wanted to adopt again and we considered foster care again. And, you know, it was something that, uh, uh, I say, you know, we, we prayed about it. We're very spiritual people. Um, we don't belong to a church, but we, you know, we feel very strongly about, um, our own faith and, and, and what, you know, the messages that we get are, they're provided to us and what they mean. And we, you know, we really thought about long and hard and we decided that private adoption the second time, you know, was going to be the route we wanted to take. And so we worked again, we actually worked with a different adoption agency, but still a good one. Um, Cause we had moved to a new town in Virginia. And so we worked with a different adoption agency and the process went very, very smoothly. Uh, again, we had to, we saved up our money and we waited. Um, during the process though, I did lose my mother to cancer. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. So that, that was really tough. Cause it was just, it was a tough time, obviously, yeah. but, um, but I do feel, I feel like it was, it was connected in the way because it made my desire even stronger to, you know, complete my family. Mm -hmm. Um, so the process took about three years, but that's because, you know, because we stopped during that time when we lost my mom. Um, 
Now this time it was pretty easy. We were actually chosen um, in December 11th of 2013. And I went down to Texas because I thought that the baby was coming. So we were yeah. like, we were chosen and we thought the baby's coming. And I went to Texas and the baby, the labor stalled and the baby wasn't coming. We happened to have family in the area. So my whole, my husband, my other two sons, they all, we all came down to Texas and we spent Christmas down there. Um, and then the day after Christmas, he finally made his appearance into the world. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So he was healthy and that was good. We, we took custody of him at, he was like three days old. The hospital that she went through had a lot of rules. Um, and she did make the decision to not meet with us beforehand. So she was discharged from the hospital. The baby stayed and it was a holiday, you know, the holiday and all that. So there wasn't many much staff around. So we did have to wait till he was like three days old to meet him. But um, we met him and we took custody of him. And, and then that was all she wrote for him. <laughs> That's awesome. So tell us, I don't know if this is a little too personal, but do, is the adoption set up differently for the two of them? Like does one birth mom wants like, like pictures and stuff like that. And the other one doesn't like, how does that work? Like, cause I know everybody that wants to job has this fear. Like, you know, what is going to happen? Right. Well, interestingly enough, um, when we chose, when we were chosen, right. After we chose the path, we, we grappled with what would we do if, you know, open adoption, close adoption. And, and honestly, in all reality, it, it's not up to us. I wish it was. I wish I could just say, you know, yep, give me the baby and let me move on with my life. That's really not how that works. Um, and it shouldn't be. But um, I think we, when I met their birth mothers and I got a chance to, you know, talk to them and get to know them and find out what, what, they, what their hopes and dreams were for the children, I, I said to myself, you know, I'm going to be open to what they want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt that was the best, you know, solution for that. Now, one of my son's birth moms, uh, we do keep in touch um, through letters and emails and uh, sometimes on the phone and stuff. Uh, he's asked questions about her. We always inform him age appropriately about his story and things like that. Um, and I have pictures of them with the baby um, in their albums and stuff. So that that's something to start this conversation. Um, and then my other son's birth mother chose a closed adoption. Okay. So, so we don't have communication with her at all. So what happens when your son uh, grows up? Can he get that information for himself or because it's close, he can't ever get that? So we, we have some, we have some documents that uh, can help him like um, medically, you know, they, they, she okay. filled out for that. Um, we do know her name and, and things like that. Um, it's really kind of hard to say what would happen if he's older and wants to get to know her um, yeah. because she's chosen a closed adoption and she can't be reached. Uh, the only thing he could do would be to go to the adoption agency and, you know, if they're still around, um, some do close their doors and then you never hear from them again. But um, if they're still around, he could always do that. Or he could go through the state or maybe a private investigator or whatnot and, and look, look up you know, where to find her and information for that. And honestly, I will support him with whatever, with either of them, whatever they do decide. Um, but for the time being, age appropriately, we'll have conversations about their, their birth mothers and, you know, even why they chose, chose the path that they chose. Um, we view this as an act of, of the greatest selfless act of love that, that someone can do. I mean, she loved them enough to know that, she couldn't raise them on her own and that she wanted to provide another family 
for them to be raised, you know, and I take, I take that as an honor. And even my eight, eight and a half year old says to me all the time, you're the best mother I ever had. And he means because he has another mother. <laughs> and that's okay with me, you know? And, you know, and the other option would have been is either one of these women could have terminated, terminated their pregnancy and they didn't. So that's an amazing thing. And not that I'm bashing anybody who has gone that route because that's a personal choice. I, I was a 16 year old finding out she was pregnant. Trust me, all of the options went through my mind. And, you know, right. I'm thankful that I decided to keep my four, she's 14 now, you know, <laughs> wow, tall and blonde and, you know, amazing. And I, I can't even imagine now if I had chosen another option, you know, like that, I wouldn't know this amazing human being that I made. Um, but I know that the, all the options are there. And it's amazing that these women knew I can't at this point in time in my life, take care of this baby, either, you know, monetarily or emotionally, or, you know, they're just not in a good spot that they chose to, instead of terminating the pregnancy, they chose to give somebody else that, that gift of love, you know? Um, and yeah. I love the fact that you guys have chosen to be open with your sons about this. Cause I actually have a cousin who did not know that my uncle was not her biological dad until recently. Oh. And uh, she did not react very well to it. And like literally cut us all off was like, I can't believe you guys didn't tell us. And we knew like as kids, I knew that she, that, you know, I knew that, that, that was the situation, but she didn't. And so it didn't end. So I actually love the fact that I give you so much um, props for, you know, telling your sons like, Hey, you were adopted. And, and, you know, this is this age appropriately, this is your story. And this is, you know, you know what we want to share with you. And I really, I really have a lot of respect for with for you for doing that. Um, so we're almost out of time with the podcast. If there's something that you want to leave um, the women listening about your story, about adoption, about any of the things that we've gone over, what what would you want them to know? Um, you know, I, I want them to know that whatever your greatest desire is in your heart for for building your family, um, you know, you you can it'll turn out far better than you ever imagined it. If you just don't, don't give up hope. Honestly, having faith and hope in, in your dreams of building your family specifically, that is for me was the greatest, was the greatest revelation I've had. You know, my children, they don't match me skin wise, but they match my heart. They're everything I've ever wanted or everything I didn't even know I wanted. Um, and then some. So while my my story took over 13 years to complete, it's it's our life and it's our story. And and I and I love them to pieces. I get to kiss them every single day and touch their skin and 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 feel them, and listen to them tell me they love me. And and that is that's worth all of it. I I just. I, I want to cry right now. I'm like, that's amazing. That's that is so uh, amazing. And it may not have been what you planned, right? Because nothing ever goes the way that we planned. We think that uh, everything is going to be exactly the only child I planned was one of the twins, mind you. Like that was the only, <laughs> the only, only one of them, and I got two. <laughs> and I was right? Like, oh my gosh, it never goes as planned. And you're you can sit there all day long and be like, you know, when I am this age, I'm going to be married and I'm going to have kids and I'm going to have, you know, white picket fence and a dog and a cat, you know, it doesn't always go as planned. And I love that you said, don't give up on that dream. It just may not happen the way that you had planned it, but Mm -hmm. it can happen just in a different way. And you, and you found that and you have 
three wonderful children to, to show from that, you know, like three wonderful children. You have a family full of love to show because you didn't give up on your dream. You just chose that you're going to go a different path. Right. Exactly. Well, Jen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I cannot wait for everybody to hear this and hopefully it brings somebody hope out there that's maybe struggling, maybe going through this right now and can, and can see that there are, there are options out there for all of the things. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for allowing me to share my story and to spend this time with you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Inspired Women podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, share this out with your friends and family, and join us in the Inspired Women community on Facebook. I'll catch you next week.